I hope you have your Bible near to where you are and you take the Bible and turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 is our passage today as we begin a new series of messages entitled Pivotal Moments in the Book of Acts. Uh, these will be the moments in the book of Acts that set the course for the history of the movement that we now call Christianity. Today, Acts chapter 1, we look at the ascension of Jesus Christ. Here's the key concept for this morning. Christ followers are sent to be his witnesses. You, follower of Jesus Christ, are sent to be his witnesses. The history of Christianity is not only true history, it is our history. And the events of the book of Acts, these pivotal moments, can teach us much about our walk with Jesus and our work for Jesus as we serve Him. And the event that we look at this morning is pivotal in the sense that this is the moment where Jesus leaves His apostles on their own and He ascends to heaven. He departs, and this is a planned departure. It's a turning point, like maybe no other in the, in the life of the disciples, for their fellowship with Jesus, which was up close and personal, now is something very different. As I said, this was a planned departure. I realize that not all departures are planned departures. Sometimes they are forced upon us. Maybe you experienced a forced departure from a place of employment or a job or something because of the pandemic situation that we are in. And sometimes because of our own behavior, we bring uh, forced departures on us. And some time ago, Leadership Magazine printed a, a sort of tongue-in-cheek article about the top statements that pastors make prior to having a departure forced on them. Here's a few examples that they, they captured. I'll show that church secretary who's boss. That could precipitate a forced departure. Or, I'm sure I can trust you to keep this confidential. Or, I'm positive Mrs. Jones will agree that she's been our church organist long enough. Those are the kinds of things that can bring about an unanticipated forced departure. But this departure of Jesus is planned. It concludes the events of the 40-day period after his resurrection. And in verse 3 of Acts chapter 1, Luke tells us what Jesus was seeking to accomplish in those 40 days. Here's what he writes. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. What Jesus wanted to do in this period of 40 days was to establish convincing proofs that he actually was back from the dead. And the reason for that is because everything that the church will attempt in these early days... Everything that Luke will record about the expansion of the gospel message, everything rests on the resurrection. If the resurrection has not happened and is not true, nothing else really matters. Everything is in vain. Paul knew that. In 1 Corinthians 15, he writes this, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Everything hinges on the resurrection. 
So over the course of 40 days after Jesus came out of the grave, he's already made 10 appearances. This is the 11th appearance. And it happens somewhere on the Mount of Olives, just outside the city of Jerusalem. So let's read. Starting in verse 6, we'll, we'll read the account of this situation. You follow along in your Bible as I read. It says this. So when they met together, verse 6, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight." Let's talk a little bit about what happens in the ascension. What do we see here? And the first thing we see is the majesty of Christ, the majesty of the ascended Christ. When he was ascended and lifted up and, and ascended into heaven, what he was going to is what theologians call glorification. And Jesus anticipated that return to glory. In John chapter 17, he's praying what we call the high priestly prayer. And there he says this, speaking to his heavenly Father, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. By the time of the ascension, Jesus has completed his work on earth. He's accomplished the payment for the guilt of our sin. He has conquered death and risen from the grave, proving that he is who he says he is, none other than God the Son come in human form, not just a really good teacher, not just a really nice man. And as God the Son, he is the conqueror of evil, and now he's ready to return to the presence of God. But as we mentioned a few weeks ago, Jesus is not returning to his pre-incarnate state. In other words, he's not going back to that pure spiritual state that he happened before he came to earth, that he experienced in eternity past. He is returning uh, to heaven in a resurrected body, the example of the sort of body that we will have one day after our own resurrection. We will be like him. Not in every way, not exactly, because he, after all, is God the Son first. But, but in some ways, in many ways, we will be like him. And the prayer that Jesus prays in John 17 shows us how eagerly he longed to be back with the Father once again. It also gives us a glimpse into the divine nature of Jesus. He is eternally coexistent with God the Father as God the Son. Before the universe began, the second member of the Trinity existed in glorified fellowship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And he is praying in John 17, anticipating that return to that fellowship. Our passage today is the fulfillment of that prayer. In the Gospel of Mark, it's recorded this way. He was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. In biblical times, the right hand was the hand of blessing. It was the hand of authority, the hand of power. This is where we get our very common phrase, right hand man. 
And Jesus is sitting on the right hand of God in that placement of authority and honor. He is glorified. Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter, Jesus Christ, who has gone to heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. He was humbled on earth, but as he ascended, he ascends to glory. In this ascension, we see the majesty of our Lord Jesus. But also, I want you to notice the method of the ascension. Listen to the way he departs. Look at verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Now, there are those who look at this story, and they reject it. They say, this must be a myth. This must be the creation of a pre-scientific age. Uh, certainly, we don't believe that Jesus actually lifted off and, and rose literally into the sky. Luke here must be using some sort of graphic imagery or language of some sort of mystical nature. But I want you to notice the way that he tells it. He repeats that theme almost to the point of redundancy. In just two verses, verses 9 to 11, it's the, the theme of the eyewitness of his physical ascension uh, is repeated five times. The ascension was visible. The ascension was physical. It was a, a reality. It was something they watched and that they saw. It is a literal liftoff. And there's a reason why that's important. Jesus did not have to leave this way. Jesus could have left by, a various, by various means. He could have beamed off the planet as if he was in Star Trek. He could have had a fiery chariot swoop down like that of Elijah. In fact, during the 40 days that he was with people and appearing to many, he has appeared and disappeared over and over again, often referred to as a sudden appearance. In other words, this is different this is gradual, it is visible, it is physical, and it's making a point. It's speaking to a different reality. And reality number one is this. He was now gone for good until the end of the age. In other words, disciples, followers, don't wait, wait around for another physical appearance. Jesus' next physical appearance will be his final appearance at his return. That's reality number one. Reality number two, this is the way he will return. This departure is an object lesson for the way that he will return when he comes again. Scan down to verse 11. Two men dressed in white that we know now are angels speak to the disciples, and they say this, men of Galilee, why do you stand there looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. Jesus will return in this same manner. The return of Christ will be personal. The return will be physical. The return will be visible. We will see him. That is how he will come again. He'll not be born as a baby again. He's not going to come back as a ghost-like figure in some kind of mysterious way. Personally, bodily, visibly, in the same way he left, he's going to come back. 
That's the lesson derived from the ascension, the way that Christ left. But also there's a challenge there, a challenge for the disciples and a challenge for us. And that is, since that's the case, you need to get busy with the job at hand. The angels say that to the disciples. Why do you stand here looking at the sky? And if they were with us, they'd say the same thing to us. Don't just stand around gazing into the heavens. Don't sit around thinking spiritual thoughts or just singing spiritual songs. You need to get on with the task, for we too are sent, just like the disciples. That is why here at Quail we engage in our GO projects. That's why we sponsor our mission trips, why we fund missionaries worldwide, why we engage in our outreach events and share the gospel as often as we can, because we need to remember and we need to remind ourselves that we are a sent people. We're not meant to sit around and gaze upward. We must gaze outward and see the need and recognize the hurts and care for those who need to hear about Jesus because he's the answer to the problems we face. So there is a message embedded in the ascension. And the message, first of all, is that this is a turning point. Things are changing in the lives of the disciples, the apostles that Jesus is, is leaving behind because this is a handoff. Now the work of the apostles begins. This is a handoff, just like when a quarterback gives the ball to the runner and says that ball is yours, take it downfield. This is a handoff. Or like that moment when the dad who has been aiding his child, riding the bike without training wheels for the first time, running alongside that bicycle, holding onto the seat, in that moment when he lets go and, and says, you are finally doing it, keep going, keep steady, that's the handoff. That's what Jesus is saying to us. He's saying, keep going, keep steady, spread the message, because I've handed it to you, just like he's handed it to the disciples. Now, they may have thought that the work was done. As we started our reading in verse 6, you almost got the sense that it, 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 they felt like they were able to announce mission accomplished. Verse 6 says this, So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? One author who looks at that verse says, there are almost as many mistakes there as there are words. That's kind of harsh, but somewhat true, because after all this time, the, the, the apostles still don't quite understand that the kingdom is not a political thing. The kingdom is not a national thing. The kingdom is what God is doing amongst his people. Jesus says, no, it's none of those things. And a matter of fact, this is not the end. The work is just starting. This is just the end of the beginning. And so when you get to verse 8, towards the end of the verse, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The work goes on. The work expands. The message must go out to all the world, to the ends of the earth. And that's still our call. That's still going on. He's asking us to be a part of that work today because that's the work that the Holy Spirit is doing through the people of God. And that brings us to the fact that the ascension reminds them particularly that the Holy Spirit would come upon them. 
Jesus has already warned them, if you will. He's already instructed them that his departure will bring about the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to come. In John chapter 16, he says this, I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, he said those words before the crucifixion, and probably it was hard for them to understand in the, in the moment and hard for them to comprehend as time went by. But his leaving and the Spirit coming is the issue. Now, that's the turning point we'll look at next week, the coming of the Holy Spirit. But here in this passage, just before he departs, he gives them specific instructions about how they should get ready for the coming of the Spirit. Go to verse 4, and we'll follow it. It says, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. A new phase is about to start. A new day is dawning in the way that God will work in the world. God, who is sovereign over time and history, is initiating in this chapter right here a new era, if you will, of Holy Spirit-enabled men and women representing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it will be unlike anything that has happened before. We're in the midst of that right now. Jesus says, you will receive power. Yes, you have a big job ahead of you, but it's not all up to you. It's not all up to your power, not, not, not alone. You will receive power from the Holy Spirit. And if you are a Christ follower today, you have all the power that you need to be an instrument that God will use to share and spread the gospel. The Spirit has come to you as well. Now, you may not feel powerful, but the power is there. You may not feel equipped but the equipment is there. You can speak and live in ways that will spread the gospel of hope because at its most basic element, what that really means is just being honest about who you are, being honest about what the Lord Jesus has done in your life, being honest and not hiding that truth from others. In this hillside scene with Jesus and the apostles, we see the transition of history. We see that the Father has sent the Son, and the Son has accomplished His earthly work. Soon the Son will send the Spirit, and He will be the source to continue the work that it goes to the ends of the earth. And we are to live out that mission. That is our calling. The Ascension also teaches us to live with heaven in view. Jesus is going somewhere when he ascends. He is going to glory. Paul put it this way in Colossians chapter 3. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Set your mind on things above. That's hard to do. There are distractions all around. It's easy to get caught up in just the periphery of life and to forget the fact that there is a life to come. Set your minds on things above. I wonder what you imagine when you 
imagine heaven. What will it be like? I read a story about a Christian man who was working in a senior care home. And he understood and recognized that one of the ladies there was a believer also. And from time to time, they would have conversations about what they're learning in church, the things that they're doing, their, their Bible study, and so forth. And one day, he started talking to her about heaven. And he said this, heaven will be fun, right? And she got a, a look on her face and she said, oh no, it won't be fun. Now, why would she say that? Why would she say heaven won't be fun? It's because she instinctively linked fun with sin. Don't do that. God invented fun. Satan ruined fun. God invented pleasure. God invented laughter. God invented joy. God invented beauty. And all of those things will be what heaven is all about. Heaven will be wonderful. Set your mind on things above. During these days of our lockdown, we have had 12 people connected with quail, followers of Jesus, go to heaven. 12 people passed away and are now in glory. And you know what? If you could ask any of those 12, do you want to come back? None of them would. Because above is wonderful. Sometimes people think heaven's going to be boring because they look at the lives of Christians and they think we live boring lives. That's not God's fault and it's not God's plan. He wants you, believer, to be living an adventure and then go to perfect joy to follow. The author Mark Buchanan puts it this way. It's the one place where we are constantly discovering, where everything is always fresh the possessing of a thing as, is as good as pursuing it, where everything is as it ought to be, where we find undiminished that mysterious something that we never found down here, the deep ah of deep satisfaction and the aha of delighted surprise meet. That's a great description. Jesus' ascension reminds us that we have that place to look forward to. And the ascension also challenges us to believe that he's coming back. Go to verse 10. It says, while they were looking intently up into the sky, as he was going, suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you've seen him go into heaven. <laughs> I can just picture the slack-jawed apostles staring up into the sky, kind of not believing what they were seeing, each of them looking for that last glimpse of Jesus as he went through the clouds. But these who are angels come and they remind them and us, he's coming again. You'll see him again. Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 21, at that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And until that time, the followers of Jesus, we are to have a missionary mindset. We are to be faithful to the task. We can't be found just gazing heavenward 
or filling our minds with spiritual thoughts but doing nothing about it. We have a missionary task, and we've been giving, given missionary powers to accomplish that task. So spend your time telling the story with urgency, because the one who has ascended will return one day, and we want to be found faithful. Jesus made the handoff to the apostles. Go and spread the word to the ends of the earth. But he also made the handoff to us. We are all sent ones of Jesus Christ. Now, as I say that, I feel that burden particularly because part of the handoff to me is to invite you on a regular basis to ask yourself if you have ever entered this journey of faith. It happens as you turn to Jesus and ask for forgiveness of your sin. You see, we need to understand it's not automatic and it's not inherited from others. It doesn't just creep up on you. It's a choice that each of us have to make. It's a choice of faith. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 2. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. The beginning of this journey with Jesus occurs as you turn to Jesus in faith. But did you notice in that verse, it is His grace that saves you. He does the forgiving. He does the transforming. He does the work. But have you turned? Have you repented of your sin? Because it's the sin that keeps you away from peace with God and from knowing Jesus. For some of you, maybe you know right now that you've never done that. But you know that you need to. And if you know you need to and you want to, I'm going to help you do that. Because that faith is an internal thing, but it is expressed in a prayer. It doesn't have to be an out loud prayer. God hears the prayers of your heart. And if you'd like to say yes to the beginning of this journey, this journey of faith that brings forgiveness, I'd like you to pray with me. In fact, let's all just bow our heads wherever you are in your living room, in your kitchen, wherever you're watching this uh, webcast. Just bow your heads. Let's all go to an attitude of prayer. But for those of you who are saying yes to faith in Jesus for the first time, repeat these words silently in your heart or something like this. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I want the forgiveness that you offer. And I believe that you can cleanse me from the guilt of my sin. I want to start over. I want to be born again. I want to be with you forever. So save me, forgive me, and help me, I pray. And Lord, I don't know who's prayed that prayer today. That's known only to you. But I know that you see the hearts of every person who is watching this webcast. You know exactly where we are spiritually. And for some of us, we may be believers, long-standing, over many years, but we've never really said yes to our mission as missionaries to speak the words of the gospel and to live out a changed life. For some of us, we're maybe just crossing that line right now, saying yes to faith. And for those in that category, I pray, Lord, that you would assure them that you are working in their lives. I pray that you would give them a, a sense of your nearness and that you would encourage them to push forward 
in this journey. For all of us, Lord, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you know us. You see us individually. You know us by name. You know our needs. And so, Lord, meet our needs. Enable us to feel your blessing and help us, we pray. For we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, for those of you who might have prayed that prayer to accept Jesus for the first time, uh, I want to be able to encourage you in your new walk of faith by sending you this booklet entitled, Now What? Living Out Your Christian Faith. It's a, just a good practical advice book of what to do as a new believer in Jesus Christ. But in order to send that to you, I need to know your contact information. So the way we work that out is this. If you would text the word faith to me at 209-257-8768. That's text the word faith to 209-257-8768. And we'll respond to you with a little form to fill out with your contact information. Send that back to us and I'll be able to send you the booklet with an encouraging letter just to get you started in this journey of faith. I'd love to do that for you. And now we're able to worship the Lord in song together. Let's do just that. As we come to the end of the service, we just heard about us being witnesses for the Lord. And the best way that we can be witnesses is to always praise him. So let's just make that a pact that from now forever, his praise will always be on our lips. Your praise, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Your praise. Your praise. 
we end our webcast this morning with the words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Let your light shine this week, and we'll see you next week. Thanks so much for watching. Let's go.